today we begin Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, one of my favorite of his letters, uh, rich in every way. Paul likely wrote this letter from a prison cell in Rome around the year 60, A.D. 60. And, um, and you can read, we've already come through the book of Acts, but one of the things I like to do whenever I start reading one of Paul's letters, say to the Ephesians or uh, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians, I like to go back to the book of Acts and find that chapter where that church started and read, reread and rethink about um, the, the setting in which that church began. What kind of hardship did Paul endure in that particular city? Um, and, and, and how did that church begin? And a lot of times it, it will inform you about some of the things that you find in the letter. And you can read about Paul's hardship-filled founding of the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. So I would encourage you to go reread that chapter again before we dive into this letter to them. But uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is one of his richest writings. The, the first half of the letter, chapters 1 through 3, are filled with some of the most um, wonderful truth Penn ever put to paper. And the second half, chapters 4 through 6, are, are the practical outworking of those truths in everyday life. Much like Romans and Galatians, we're only going to be able to scratch the surface of the letter here in these uh, podcasts. But I encourage you to, to read every sentence of this letter carefully, thoughtfully, prayerfully, um, as we make our way through it. So let's take a look at the first chapter and, and think about um, a couple of noteworthy things here. Um, and the first one has to do with union with Christ. Union with Christ. The New Testament, obviously, was originally written in Greek, which means that uh, Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians in the Greek language. And what you also might not realize, just from reading our English translations, is that in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 is one long sentence in Greek. <laughs> the point of mentioning that is not just to show you how uh, capable the Greek language was of run-on sentences, but to show you that Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is one sustained flow of thought in Paul's mind. The main point of that sustained flow of thought in those verses is recounting every spiritual blessing, quote-unquote, that we have received in Christ Jesus, as he puts it in verse 3. And the key phrase there, every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, is that phrase, in Christ Jesus. It, or a phrase like that, is one that Paul repeats over and over again. Paul says, like I just mentioned in verse 3, that it is in Christ that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be saved. Verse 6, we have received his glorious grace in the beloved. Furthermore, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. In verse 9, God's plan of salvation was set forth in Christ. In verse 10, we are united with the Lord in him uh, by faith. We Paul says in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Verse 13, in him we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So Paul wants to make it absolutely clear and concrete that every good thing we have in this world we have in Christ alone. It's akin to Asaph's rhetorical question to, uh, to the Lord in Psalm 73, 25. 
when he asks, whom have I in heaven but you? Apart from Christ, um, there is no hope and no good thing. Every good thing we think we have and do have by God's common grace, we, we, they will perish with us apart from Christ. And these first several verses in Ephesians are perhaps the most exalted summary of what God has done for us in Christ for our salvation. Before we were even born, God chose and predestined us out of his own free grace to receive these everlasting blessings. He says that in verses 4, 5, and 11. He adopted us as his own children, according to verse 5. He gave us redemption and forgiveness of our sins um, and, 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 and forgiveness of our rebellion through his own suffering in our place, verse 7. He gave us the Holy Spirit who guarantees our inheritance in heaven. That was verses 13 and 14. It's all of grace, every bit of it. So, uh, as he says twice in the the opening verses, verses 6 and 12, all praise be to God. The other thing I want to point out and draw your attention to is the prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian believers in verses 15 through 23. There isn't time to delve into every facet of this prayer, but I just want to direct you to one overarching point that we might take from such a prayer. The main thing I would highlight is that these prayers are valuable tools for us to use in our own prayer lives to make the case let me direct you to one other promise elsewhere in the new testament here's what john says in first john 5 4, 14 and 15 first john 5 14 and 15 he says and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and we know that he hears us in whatever we ask if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we asked of him. Now that's a promise. John is saying that if we ask God for something that is according to his will, then you can take it to the bank, that he will grant us the request. That's awesome. Well, what does that have to do with Ephesians 1? Well, again, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23 is Paul's prayer for them. But it's not any ordinary prayer. It is a spirit-inspired prayer that is now part of Holy Scripture. Paul would affirm in, in 2 Timothy 3.16 that every word of Scripture comes from the mouth of God. And so this prayer in, in Ephesians 1, 15 to 23 and, and similar other prayers in other letters are not only the words of Paul, but also the word of God. This means that every request in the prayer is according to God's will. And John has taught us that if we ask for something that is according to his will, then he will grant it. Putting it all together, we can rest assured that if we pray uh, in our own personal prayer lives the prayers that we find in Scripture, then God will work mightily through those prayers. So, for example, using this prayer, we might ask God to give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, like verse 17 says. We might ask God that he enlighten our hearts to know fully the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, verse 18. We might ask God to know his immeasurable power that he uses for our good, like verse 19 does. And it goes on and on. These prayers teach us how we ought to pray and what our priorities should be in prayer. So I encourage you to be on the lookout for prayers like this as you make your way through Paul's letters. And we, um, we'll, you'll find them again and again as we make our way through the New Testament. So mark their place and, and begin to incorporate these prayers uh, into your own prayer life. If you don't feel like you know how to pray 
Well, then this is an extra good place to begin because you have the whole prayer written out for you already. And those are just a couple of thoughts from Ephesians chapter 1.